Welcome to today's episode of Strata Originals. As the name implies, we speak with true originals and we take you to the next level. These are leaders who stand out by the lessons and stories they share to inspire us, entertain us, and teach us. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. You can also watch the video podcast of these episodes on YouTube at Strata Originals. So fasten your seatbelts, ensure your tray's in the upright position, and prepare for takeoff. Your in-flight host, Alan McLaren. Well, we have someone that's called the Idea Monkey, and I'm going to talk to you about that in a second. Uh, We have the pleasure of having a great guest, Mike Maddock, who is, uh, I must say, we're going to develop a great friendship as well, Mike, so I'm excited about that. So first of all, let me do the official introduction because it is a podcast. So my name is Alan McLaren. I'm the co-founder of Strat Originals. And on this podcast, we interview originals. As the name implies, originals are people who stand out by the lessons and stories they share to help us learn and grow as leaders and underline as humans as well. Uh, So Mike is a connector of people, ideas, and a growth leadership and innovation expert. So everything we need to know in the world Mike has done and has experienced. But let me go through the bullets. And I had to do bullets because the bio was way too big. So I'm going to go through the bullets. So Mike's a speaker, hundreds of gigs to great acclaim. He's an author of three books with a fourth to come, right? A Marshall Gold. What's that? Four books with a fifth to come, but who's counting? Yeah, but who's counting? (laughs) Four and five, it doesn't matter. It's all good. It's more than I have. Uh, a Marshall Goldsmith certified executive coach. And for the, those of you who don't know Marshall Goldsmith, he's kind of the kingpin of executive coaches. And being one is very unique. Uh, we're going to talk about his role as CEO of Flourish Forms as well. A lot, lot of conversation around that. Uh, but he's the founder CEO of Maddox Douglas, innovation consulting company, a founder of a creative uh, marketing group called McGuffin Creative Group, is a member of YPO, still ties to EO leadership organizations, and is a a Stegen Leadership Academy trained expert. So that's Mike Maddock. Welcome to Strat Originals, Mike. Clearly my mom wrote that bio. Well, I wrote the bio and I'm not your mother. (laughs) I'm not your mother, but but although I do have a little bit, well, we're going to leave that one alone. Good to be here. (laughs) But you know, the most important thing we're going to talk about today is something that is a weird abstract that you wrote a book on called The Idea Monkey. And we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, because we think that's kind of what explains who you are. But let's start with the icebreaker. We're both in YPO, so we icebreakers kind of live our lives. It's a really simple one. Can you share your favorite quote with us? Uh, I think my favorite quote is uh, attributed to Einstein. The most important decision a man will ever make is whether he lives in a friendly universe. Um, I like the idea that uh, I've always been fascinated by how some people can walk into a room and see possibility while others, most people see problems. So I think the lens that you have when looking at um, different challenges defines your future. So I love that quote. Um, the most important decision we make is whether we live in a friendly universe. Can I build on that with a question? Um, sure. The friendly universe, do you believe that people can create their own friendly universe? Because the world's an ugly place sometimes. Tell me about, do you see a perspective on we can create our own valued space that we live in with friends, family, and whatever. Yeah, I, I think that um, the ability to see a challenge as a persecution or, or a possibility uh, defines our path. And, you know, uh, I, I, I talk a lot about how, um, you know, the, the, secret to, the secret to a great life is gratefulness. And at the, at the root of gratefulness is seeing possibility where other people see problems, you know, like, wow, that happened to me. This is a gift. How is it a gift? You know, where is this going to lead me that's positive? And, you know, I just don't talk about it. I I really do live it. Most of my t-shirts, almost all of them are life is good t-shirts. I, you know, Bert Jacobs is a friend of mine. He started that company. I just like wearing the message life is good because it's a constant reminder to me that it is good. You know, there's goodness everywhere. And, and when you're looking for it, you know, here's an example, you know, when you're about to buy a new car 
and you, and you have your eye in a certain model. And so all of a sudden you see them everywhere. Yeah. That's because your brain is thinking about, is programmed to think about that car. So all of a sudden they're all over the place. You never noticed them before until you zero on that, that car. Mm-hmm. Possibilities like that. If you have a, a mindset to be looking for possibility, you see it. Um, and, you know, just think about the people in your family or your company. The ones that are wired for possibility are always taking a step in the right direction. You know, nothing holds them back. How do you, uh, and I think no one would argue with everything you just said, how do you make that a daily habit? Because it's easy to fall into the trap of victimhood and, oh my God, what was me? What, what do you do to keep that alive in your life? Well, I mean, there's there's all kinds of frameworks. Um, I'm a big fan of David Emerald. He wrote The Empowerment Dynamic. Um, it's based on Steve Cartman's work in the 60s, you know, how to move from being a victim to a creator from being, or, you know, there, there's three different characters. So the awareness of um, drama can't happen unless someone is willing to take the role of a victim. You know that you're willing to take a, the role of a victim when you hear yourself or someone else complaining about anything. So the, uh, you know, observing, okay, I'm complaining and moving from uh, the complaint to why does this make me so upset? Because the more angry you are, the more um, something that you really value is being violated. So there's the treasure hunt. Okay, I'm really upset about this. Why am I upset? What's the outcome that I want or what is, what's standing in my way? As soon as you flip the switch from complaint to what's the outcome I want, now you're a creator. You're in the creator mindset. You're like, okay, now I know I'm upset. Here's where I want to go. Here's what I need to do to get there. And bam, you're out of the gate and running. The challenge is that some people... For, get you know a lot of energy from complaining mm. and you know so they complain more because people pay attention to them but it that's a stuck place to be and so i i took that training many years ago and it served me super well i i'm kind of wired for possibility i'll give my mom credit um i remember that in the darkest times she would say isn't this great isn't this awesome and she literally did that and and i i remember going are you kidding me? We're soaking wet. I'm freezing. I don't have the right coat. What is so great about it? You know, because the car is so warm now. Like she just, she, as a young uh, child, she programmed me, I think, to look for possibility instead of complaining about stuff. And it was such a gift, such a gift. Thanks. You know, you just made me think of, of my mom when you were talking that the gifts that she gave me as well, that, you know, the gift of love and loving people. And then it's just, you know, it, it kind of harkens you back to the importance of those role models and the people in your lives that help you express who you are. And so your mom was clearly one of those people. Yeah, she is. She's a great person. And I'm lucky me. That's yeah. awesome. Listen, we, uh, we went through a long extended bio, but I really want to kind of get behind the scenes. Are there any highlights through the through your life, core lessons, mentors, influencers, uh, folks that you know were part of your journey in addition to your mom that you could share with us some stories sure like that. i so i i like to work as a kid um i i like to have money in my pocket money was freedom to me you know i got bought gas for my car which meant i could get out of the house uh and so i had lots of jobs started working when i was 14 and uh, just out of sheer by sheer chance all of my bosses were entrepreneurs. And so that was, I got to see, you know, what happens behind the curtain and it is messy and ugly and it's it's not necessarily smart. And it's all the stuff that you, you think, you know, oh, I wish I could have my own business. And then you see what it looks like. And so along, the, along that path, I had a number of people that became mentors to me. Um, one comes to mind is Doug Harms. He was a entrepreneur in Ames, Iowa. He started a t-shirt shop and then another and then another and then another. And I worked as an artist for him. His wife was a marketer, Mary Harms. And um, what I learned from Doug was that entrepreneurship is a team sport. Mm. He was uh, very inclusive. Uh, I never, ever called anybody that worked for me an employee because they're just part of a team. I work with them. I get to work with them. And so that was a great lesson, and God rest his soul, Doug died at a very young age of cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked with a guy named Tom Kane, Tommy Kane. 
uh, who's a salty old Navy guy. And he encouraged me to start a company out of college. He rented me space. I remember one time I came upstairs and he said, Michael, you know how I know you're going to be successful? And I go, how's that, Tommy? He says, because you're too goddamn stupid to know you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. And there's a lesson in that, you know, like there's a brilliance in naivete. He He's right. You have to be um, boldly, uh, you know, you just have to believe in yourself and figure, why can't I do this? Um, by the way, that was just after I had presented to the board of Container Corporation. I had weaseled my way in there and they gave me a presentation to the whole board. I was 25 years old. I had no right to be in that room. And he couldn't believe I got in there, um, but it was great. And then, you know, my great grandmother whispered in my ear as a little boy that that I had something special and she made me believe it. Um, she's like, you're the one, I know I can do this. I, I can judge talent. And at the time her husband was um, the chief creative officer, J. Walter Thompson. He was a writer, he wrote for the Chicago Daily News. So I thought, that. I kind of want to be a creative guy. So maybe she knows how to spot talent. I'm sure she whispered it in all the kids' ears, but she made me believe it. So God bless you, Grandma. <laughs> but isn't that, you know, but what a great, you know, just to start thinking about the thread that begins your life, right? That your your mom is a believer, your grandma is threading the belief in you. And then, you know, as a lot of successful people grow up believing that there is, you said the word possibilities when we started this. You don't believe that there's no it's possible. Let's go try it. And if we fail. Well, we fail. Big deal. It's such a great yeah. lesson to that security of having people around you that are loving and supportive of you, isn't it? Yeah. There's another quote. Henry Ford said, if you think you can or think you can't, you're correct. Mm. Um, I think that the difference between um, people that get things done and people that don't is oftentimes they just believe they can. And so uh, you know, I, I love being in rooms full of entrepreneurs and asking them if they think they can change the world. I make them close their eyes and raise their hand and put their hand down. I said, if you had your hand up, I'm here to tell you you're correct. You really can. You have all the leverage, you know, so. So you're spreading belief as well in the work that you do, right? You're spreading the, the belief of belief. That's really cool. Yeah, I think it's a foundational element of making change happen. I love it. So here's the thing, though as your new friend, man, you do a lot of stuff. Like you have yeah. trouble saying no. You have trouble saying no? Yes, and I have recently found a hack for people like me that I will now share with you. <laughs> so my love language is acts of service. And I like, my dad's a Navy captain. You know, I, I grew up in a family where serving was what you did to care about people. So when people ask me for help, um, I, I want, I want to say yes. And I, and I, you know, I just, as I'm two calls in, like, how can I help you? I ask because it makes me feel really strong. Um, so there's this, there's a little hack for people like me who have trouble saying no. And it's don't say no, say yes. There's a higher yes. And so it works like this, Alan, you say, Hey, Mike, can you come help me at the food pantry this weekend? Which is certainly a noble thing to do. And before I say yes to you, I think of well, have I said yes to someone else? I mean, the answer might be something like, Alan, I would love to help you at the food pantry this weekend, but I've told my son that I will take him um, Christmas shopping for his girlfriend. And so that's a, I, although I'd love to say yes to you, I have to say no, because I've already said yes to someone else. So think about the thing, the higher yes, that that is um, maybe a better use of your time. Say yes to that before then it allows you to say no to someone else. And I'm just learning that now. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great tool because, you know, but I love it because at the end of the day, you're staying positive all the time. Yeah, and people accept it. Yeah. You know, it's the, the I've been offered um, leadership positions and my answer is yes, but not, not, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, that happens a lot in our little world of YPO, doesn't it? But that's a whole other Absolutely. Never miss a meeting. You'll be volunteered. Oh, it's happened to both of us, I know. Uh, Mike, can you tell me, if I would just ask you this one simple question, what do you really love to do? You're doing all this stuff, but what what just charges you up in the morning? I love connecting um, people and possibility. That's really simple. A simple answer to a simple question. However, does it, it again, it relates back to your your service mentality, right? 
you want to help people genuinely without expectation of return? Yeah. So, uh, the, uh, well, it's kind of, you know, you look, if you want to know what you love doing, look at what, look at your checkbook and your calendar, you know, that's, that's, that, that helps you define where your, you know, your, your, your heart and your hands are. And I have spent most of my time, um, you know, almost unconsciously trying to put people that can help each other together with ideas that will help change things. So everything I've done has been around that connection of, hey, you had this idea. This is a person that can help you. And I just get a lot of energy from it. And so I think my companies and my books and all that are a manifestation of that, you know, just trying to do more of that. Well, what a great transition. So why did they call you the idea monkey? <laughs> well, <laughs> my partner, Raph um, Vitan, uh, the Cuban prince, uh, he, he, I was walking by his office one day and he said, hey, hey, idea monkey, get in here. And I, I can't figure out this problem. And I think he was kind of poking me because I'm always, you know, and I, and I, but it was a compliment to me. I'm like, what's the problem? What do you mean? Like, just wind me up. Tell me what. Tell me the problem needs to be solved. And I, you know, I'll dance. Um, and it's a serious note. So I, I like the moniker. And when I was writing that book, I'd like free the idea monkey to focus on what matters most. He also, I would walk into his office and like, I've got an idea, you know. And he goes, and he, he very slowly pick up a, you know, a dry erase pen. He very slowly and dramatically walk over to a whiteboard. And on a long, under a long list of ideas, he'd write down my idea, put the put the pen down, and say, "And where does this idea rank with these other ideas?" And then I'd kind of go, "Okay," and I walk out. So. Oh, that's funny. But that you know that brings us to a really interesting point because ideas without execution is is a tough thing. So how do you how do you do that? How do you take the multitude of ideas that come into your head? actually make them come to come to life or should they come to life what do they I do? think that so I think two things first identify what success looks like and how to measure it and then start moving so the first thing is okay here's an idea but in order to move this idea forward what what does success look like is it the number of calls is it the number of tests is it the number of, how do I measure progress? in a meaningful way and really think about that and then get moving. I think most people spend so much time, you know, contemplating ideas that they never start moving and you're never going to know whether an idea is good or bad or improvable unless you just start prototyping the idea. Um, so th that's how, and you know, the, the unfair competitive advantage that entrepreneurs have is that they tend to just, A, they're like, what could possibly go wrong? They're naive. They, 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 I'm so brilliant. No one has figured this out yet. That's number one. And number two is they start, they start, they get in action. And, and by the time their bigger, uh, more well-funded, smarter rival gets around to doing anything, they're 10 steps ahead. Mm -hmm. And that's, so movement is really important. Now, one of the things you've been honest about was uh, you're really good at starting businesses, but some of the challenges uh, don't always reach to your vision. Can you share with us what, what happens in that process from the idea, the execution to where you are at the end? Yeah. So, you know, your strength is your weakness. Um, it always mm -hmm. is. And so, so my strength is starter. I'm a great starter, lousy finisher. That's what I tell people. And the way that's manifested itself is, I've started um, at least seven businesses. Uh, four of them have been multi-million dollar businesses, three, five, eight, eighteen million dollar businesses, and all of them had the same thing in common. They eventually went and just flattened out. So I've thought a lot about it. I've written a lot about it. Um, I think what happens is the strength it takes to start a business is different than than it takes to scale a business. Mm -hmm. So. I was, a, I was on the board of advisors for uh, General Electric, and it's a famous company started by one of the greatest inventors of all time, Thomas Edison. And um, they, so he started it, but people like Jack Welsh were able to scale it because they were operators. So that, that it's a different type of mindset. But eventually, Jack Welsh left the company and they lost $200 billion worth of market share. 
in two years. Why? Because he had, they had gotten out of balance the other way. They were really good at systems and processes, but had lost the ability to invent new things. So the answer is, um, I created companies that were out of balance. They looked too much like me. A bunch of idea monkeys running around reinventing everything instead of executing with precision. The the best companies I know um, and the best leaders I know learned far far before I did that a balanced executive team, a balanced uh, leadership team, a balanced team overall is how you scale. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a bit. So oh, how, good. Does, how does the <laughs> idea monkey um, connect to all the things that you do? You know, speaking, author, innovation guy, marketing guy, passionate guy. How does it all connect? Uh, well, my purpose is to inspire and empower curiosity. So all those things that you just mentioned are, are ways that I've found to do it. Um, and, uh, you know, I enjoy doing all of them. But I mean, to be fair, if I would focus on one or two of them, it would probably be more productive. <laughs> You know, I mean, from a quantitative financial perspective anyway, um, but that's not really what makes me tick, clearly. <laughs> well, well, you know, the, the whole, again, I, the idea monkey is a, a wonderful image as well that just, but again, success, the, the thing that's really fascinating to me is you you are renowned as, a, as an expert and a global expert and, and sharing the vulnerability of what you really know, like, you know, you talked about your businesses that plateau at a certain place. Does that help you when you're consulting with people that you you're honest about where you are and what you're really good at? I think it depends. Um, it helps me with, with leaders that, that are, that have similar values. Mm -hmm. There are, there are leaders that are, um, I'm sure they would see vulnerability as a sign of weakness and, you know, that's not strong enough for them. So that's okay though. Um, the leaders that I uh, prefer to be with are self-aware and humble, and um, and they they recognize that they have the same issues, and so. Um, but but I would I would you know it's like talking about politics. It, it's going to attract some people and repel others. It's and you might really believe in your political point of view, but it it's you know <laughs> there are unintended consequences. Well, what I love is it ties back to the quote of Einstein as you're creating your own universe, right? So that that has to be with people of like, not like thought, but like values, right? And and belief in the fact that you and I know vulnerability is actually strength, right? With the people that matter to us. Yes, I think so. I think that, you know, it's like a, a shining light, you know? So I, I have a Simon Sinek story that reminds me of this. I had him come in and talk at a leadership conference and um, and he was sitting in a room and I, I was doing the introductions, like trying to get everyone to come up and introduce people. And about five minutes into the introduction, some guy comes in, he's got spiked hair, he's wearing a leather coat, he's got a pink sequin flip phone, he's talking really loudly, walks over to the buffet, starts slamming eggs. We're done with breakfast, but he's not, he's talking and everyone stops and looks at this guy. And it, it was a real distraction. And um, so fast forward, it's, now it's the afternoon. Simon gets up there. He does his, you know, sparkly start with Y speech, three circles, blah, blah, blah. And uh, people are asking him questions like, well, I'm a surgeon. What's my why? You know, and he, he's, he starts to get a little bit frustrated. Well, let me give you an example. I can, be a, I can be kind of a prick sometimes. And so you, you with the spiked hair, when you walked in earlier with your, are those alligator pants or boots? Is, what kind, is that leather pants you're wearing and your pink sequin phone? I'm thinking to myself, who is this asshole that is being so disruptive? But when you got up here, you didn't say what you did. You said why you did it. And your why and my why are the same. So when you pick up the phone and call me, I'm going to say yes, because we are aligned. And that was Bobby Seeger, um, who is a relatively famous uh, an eccentric philanthropist that runs around the world with sting and gives away soccer balls because he believes in nose to nose philanthropy. But I think that there's something about, and, and Bobby is, uh, he's a WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. He doesn't care. He's that guy with the pink sequin phone. And um, 
he went on to win a big award for like one, you know, in YPO land for doing such great work around the world. But my point is that when we're capable of being ourselves, we attract people. And a greater point, which I've been thinking about, is that I think that at eight years old, we're perfect. And we all think we're perfect. We can sing, we can dance, we can draw. And then the world conspires to tell us we're not perfect. And most of us lose it, but some of us don't. Some of us hold on to that eight-year-old humanity. And when that person walks into the room, it's like, I think people remember that beauty that they had when they were eight and they long for it. And I think most of us spend our whole life trying to get back to that eight-year-old. And, and many of us never do. But we have to, like, don't care about our work anymore. I'm just going to be myself. So, yeah, I want to be that guy that <laughs> when you walk into a room, people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's, uh, he's you know, but you're right. He's authentic. <laughs> and, you know, back to, you know, personal brand. He is who he is. He's authentic. And yeah, that's beautiful. It is. And Simon, you know, uh, he's a good guy. You like him or you love him. He is himself. Mm. Um, I, I remember I gave a, a, a presentation for the nationwide board and uh my, my job was to uh, move some board members along and open up their thing, whatever. And two years later, uh, someone asked the CEO of Nationwide, you remember Mike Maddock? He was, is he the guy that wore the jeans in the boardroom? <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Like, yeah, I guess I'm that guy. <laughs> always be known for something, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, always be known for being yourself. You know, what you see is what you get is, is, uh, what I leaders that I really respect are known as WYSIWYGs. But you know what? Back to the vulnerability question, right? Because when you start thinking about the success, your team takes cues off of you, right? If you're real and human and authentic, then you're not seen in the same way. You just mentioned about how the team, I never call it employees. That's a big deal. That there's yeah. no you don't you don't see hierarchy and you see connection and and I think that's part of the reason you're so successful and, you know, your brand is so powerful uh, because you're who you are, right? I, thank you. I, I remember, I, you just brought a memory back. I remember asking someone I worked with um, how he was feeling one day and he stopped gulped and he said, I'm really scared and started crying. Um, and he happened to be the head of our sales group. So having a alpha salesperson admit that he was really scared was a moment for me because um, he had the right to be scared our numbers didn't look good he was worried it was keeping him up at night and that was the right answer um you know so we we it was, we had a really generative conversation because of that otherwise he could have said ah doing great everything's fine it's gonna be all right which is how we were programmed to respond to questions like that if we're in sales, typically. Well, you know, we all wear masks, right? Sometimes, and um, that, that's not that's not the reality. And it's the only way to get to play, happy places. But um, where I'd like to go now, uh, Mike, as you mentioned earlier, that the success of of your life has been around teams and around building teams, and and you've you've done something that can actually help that help manifest that through something called Flourish Forms. Can you share with us a what Flourish Forms is? And then we'll talk through uh, what, what that's all about for executives to think about. Sure. So first, um, as a foundation, what you've been in Forum, right, Alan? How would you describe Forum? Forum, I would call it as a kind of a personal advisory board for, for people that uh, that would build I would build trust with, who I would trust with every every breath uh, that can yeah. help both business and personal. That's what I would describe Forum as. And. and Awesome. And in, and it's the rated as the number one benefit for some pretty famous peer groups like YPO, EO, Vistage, the forum is everything. Because when you're leading an organization, you know, I had a friend who said the crown is heavy. You know, you have issues that you can't speak. It's hard. You, everyone thinks it's easy, but who do you talk to about what, what's keeping you up at night? You know, your family thinks you got the best job in the world. They don't want to hear it. Your high school buddies are like, oh, Mr. Rich Guy, what do you get? You know, so there aren't a lot of people that you can talk to about what the challenges that you can't unravel. 
plus you're supposed to be strong, you're the leader, you should have this all figured out. So forum is a group of people where at its best, you can bring your darkest challenges without fear of being judged and get some new perspective on what the challenge might actually be. At its worst, forum turns into a competitive, I told you so environment that doesn't work. And so flourish forums, I've been in forum for the better part of 25 years. I've been in an EO forum for 23 years, my second YPO forum for 15 years. These are the best friends of my life. I would tell you, I had a, our family had a personal tragedy a couple of years ago, uh, started a couple of years ago. Um, well, my wife passed away uh, about four months ago uh, from brain cancer. And I will tell you that if I did not have my forum, um, forum friends supporting me, I'd probably be an institution. I mean, just, it was so difficult, but having their love and support uh, and people that really knew me, they wouldn't, they would not take the, I'm fine answer. They, they were there and supported me. I, so I am a huge proponent of forum. I also told you that I was a good starter and a lousy finisher. So looking at my companies, what was the issue? The issue was that we as people surround ourselves with people we like. They laugh at our jokes. They see the world the same way. And forum's no different. There isn't any intentionality around forum. So my thesis was, what if you took a forum and engineered it to have the pieces that a really great growth company has? So a Flourish forum is a group of peers that meets monthly, virtually monthly. And there are six different seats that you qualify for. You're an, you're one you're one of six operators or you're one if there are six people you're either an operator you're a strategist strategist you're a rainmaker you're a visionary you're a tech futurist or you're an orchestrator you're all P and L owners you're all peers but when a challenge comes to the operator the operator sees it differently than the rainmaker who sees it differently than the orchestrator etc so now you can you have a safe place where you can bring your toughest challenges and be assured that you'll get at least five different perspectives on what the problem actually might be. And that's how progress happens. That's how scale happens more rapidly. That's interesting because back to the question you asked me about forum, forum is uh, you gotta get lucky because it's a bit of, it's randomness, right? Do you oh, have right. people or 10 people that, you know, happen to have that profile without even measuring, but you're, intentional and purposeful of putting those people together do you have any stories of that you can't share necessarily publicly the names but are there stories of success that you might be able to share with us that said here's an example that you experienced as the as one of the moderators and coaches yeah a couple things there's a paradox in play here because um we like to be around people that think like us but we learn the most from people that we that don't think like us and we tend to not like them so, you know, getting a group of people that think differently together, it's, it's kind of an art. So two stories. Number one, I remember my first day in forum and we all did our introductions and I was 28 years old and I was judgy and I knew everything. And um, we went around the table in my mind. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. No effing way. No effing way. No effing way. I was picking the people that I was going to like and who I was going to learn from. Well, one of those gentlemen is still in my forum and he was in the he was on the naughty list <laughs> he was on the not gonna don't like this guy never gonna learn anything, anything from this guy because we were so opposite he is spock i've told him all this i have learned more from jonathan um because he sees he would ask questions that would piss me off like they were cold-hearted how could you what a dick why would you ask that and, and he was just like well it makes why wouldn't you ask that? I, I wanted to punch him in the mouth because he saw the world so differently. And by God, those were my blind spots. The guy is like the opposite. And it, it's so beautiful um, now to reflect on how much light he was able to shine on those blind spots, you know? Um, so there's one story. Another story, uh, we recently had a member who was um, really stuck. And the forum was able to convince him to take a sabbatical. Mm. And that's hard to do for type A people 
Like you need, you're not going to talk, check the phone. You're not, you're going to go. And he, so he did, he, they convinced him and um, not because they told him what to do, but they shared their own experiences around that. And he came back a new person completely transformed his business. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's incredible. And he is willing to say, say, Hey, you know, I didn't see this. It was wow. What a big deal for me. So there's a couple of examples. Can you share with me that what you picked up from Jonathan, and since you've known Jonathan all this time, was it flipped? Did he see you differently and has learned from you? Like, what's the reciprocal relationship there? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, I remember when we first met, he was uh, treating employees like chattel. He didn't, what benefits? It was like all, it was all about numbers and efficiency. And now he's one of the kindest most um genuine bosses i know because he's so he he learned he actually he taught himself processes to be an empath it's crazy you know he he saw this as something he needed to work on and over the years he's he's the same guy but he's built um methods and awareness around his blind spots so he doesn't show up the same way so yeah we've really it's it's been transformative for both of us um, and I, now I just absolutely trust him when he says, can I ask you a question? I'm like, here it comes, here comes my blind spot. But the difference is now I look for that. You know, I look for when people tell me, yeah, I'm not really gelling with this form. I'm like, well, good. That means that we have a whole bunch of different people here. Our job isn't to gel. Our job is to respect and listen. There's this, there's this theme in design thinking that if you keep trying to work on the same problem over and over and you can't solve it, you're probably working on the wrong problem. So if you've been in a forum and keep bringing it to the forum and going, why can't I fix it to the point where you're embarrassed about it? it can be a personal problem or a business problem. It's likely you're working on the wrong problem. And mm -hmm. imagine being in a room where someone says, um, yeah, I had a similar issue, but I saw it differently. I thought about it as a different problem. And here's what I did about it. And being like, oh, my gosh. Hmm. I've, been, I've been trying to fix the wrong thing. That's a big moment. And it happens all the time. You know, you, you use the word gel. And, and so helping me understand my context for form, we always talk about trust, right? Trust. Once you have trust, then you'll listen to someone. But you said you don't have to gel to solve a problem. But yet there's this circle of trust that you have to have. Can you share how you see that kind of? Yeah, work? the first, the first, um, in our Flourish forums, we have the first 50 minutes is always a guest from the outside, a guru, who can teach us something and we do Q&A. A lot of really famous thinkers have been our gurus. Mm -hmm. The first one, I, the first meeting is always about vulnerability. Um, so there's a difference between trust and um, gelling. Yeah. If, if someone is willing to expose something that they're really frightened about, embarrassed about, nervous about, get really vulnerable. That's how you build trust. There's other, other rules, you know, no judgment, um, you know, using a gestalt protocol, which means that you speak from experience. In this context, it means you don't tell people what to do. You tell them how you see their issue and share some experience that's relevant to you. Um, and, and being a peer, you, can, you also can't have victims in a forum. You know, you have to be able to to learn and, and put something on the street. You can't complain about your dad or your partner who won't let you do anything or your boss. That doesn't work. So there's some building blocks to trust um, that 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 don't have to be related to. Oh, we think the same. I really like you. You know, um, you don't. You might not have liked your parents when you're growing up, but you trusted them because they told you things you didn't want to hear. Mm -hmm. And they guided you in a certain way. That's what I'm talking about. Eventually, Alan, I will tell you, over time, you start to really gel with people. But out of the gate, I'd rather you didn't. It's it's interesting because the the contrast between a flourish form, and I wouldn't call it a contrast, but I love the intentionality. I mean, that's the secret sauce to what you've done. But, how, you know, without getting into your secret sauce, how do you determine if someone's a visionary or a or a rainmaker or an operator? How do, how do you 
it is, I don't know if people even know that about themselves. Yeah, and and it's true because um, most people, when they, for, I'll speak to entrepreneurs, you you were the COO, you were the founder, the CEO, you're the head of marketing until you can hire someone else to do it. So it's not whether you can do a job. The real question is, what do you love to do? What did God make you to do? What what do you run to when you're in flow or, or retreat to when you're under pressure? That's your seat. And so I test people. Okay. I test, I test, I first we talk about values because you have to be a value fit to be in a flourish form. Second, there has to be a seat available in a form. And third, you have to test for that seat. So I use Colby um, okay. and I have used the Colby score to determine again, what you do in flow and what you do when you are under pressure and they're the same thing. It's reliable. It doesn't change after third grade. And it really points me in the right direction. I can look at a Colby score and say, oh my gosh, you know, you're this seat and this is your secondary seat. And, um, and to your other point, when you cut up a bunch of ingredients, throw it into a pot of water and hope the soup tastes good. Sometimes it does. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't. And um, when we add ingredients to our own soup, we add more of the same ingredients and then it's just bland, you know, and the metaphor is most forms are like that. There's a bunch of ingredients and hope it works out. See you later. I don't flourish forms are engineered to taste good. I love it. Do you see it as because you mentioned organizations like EO and Vistage and YPO, do you see this as a replacement or an enhancement or a, a secondary? Oh, no. I, I, so I'm mad. I, I'm I'm in a YPO forum. I'm in an EO forum. I think this is. I think you should look at this differently. This to me is. You used the word earlier. I'll use them as well. It's a, a virtual advisory board. It's engineered to. If you want to grow more quickly, that's what this is to do. Um, it's also virtual. We get together once a year in person. But other than that, you can put this in your pocket and take it to your vacation home. Take it overseas. We do it virtually. So. Um, it's it's quite a bit different, and most of my forum members are in other forums, or almost all of them have been. Um, so I encourage people to you know to do forum. Everybody should have a forum, a framework, and a coach. Forum, a framework, and a coach. Okay, so forum I get, coach I get, framework. Operating framework, one page strategic plan, some something that brings everybody together. It's like, this is our goals. This is how we're measuring it. This is your part of the sandbox. This is mine on a, on a sheet of paper. Um, and as far as forms go, uh, you know, look at my calendar. I am now in multiple forums and love them all. It's, it's a really, and again, before I'd met you, I didn't know what it was, but I think you, what I found in forms sometimes is they couldn't help you if you're running an agency because they didn't understand some of the basics of that. So you get the generic business stuff, but in this case, you get it's it's the problem solving that's fascinating because it's you know you talked about Jonathan and he's there's a lot of Jonathans in forms, but there's maybe four of them and that could be a problem. Right? Yeah, a fun exercise is um, sometimes when I speak, I'll say, okay, your partner has a business, your wife, your whatever, your partner has a business, your husband. Um, and it's been profitable for five years. Suddenly, it's no longer profitable. Quick, write down on a piece of paper, what's the first thing you would do if asked by your partner, why isn't my business profitable anymore? And based on that answer, I can tell you which seat you'd be in because they're different answers. So the operator says, show me the balance sheet. I will squeeze every line and I will get you profitable within two months. The strategist might say, we're measuring the wrong thing. You're looking at leading indicators. What about lagging indicators? The rainmaker says, you know why you're not profitable? You need more business. You got to put more meat in the sausage machine. Everyone's sitting on their hands. You got so many people who need more work. The visionary would say some, might say something like, we're not profitable because we're not relevant. We need a new product. We need There's no margin in what we do anymore. The tech futurist might say, we're not profitable because we're inefficient. We're using the wrong technology. We can eliminate three jobs. We use this technology. And the orchestrator might say, we're not profitable because we have a problem with accountability. You know what? We're measuring everything, but we're all rescuing each other. Until we trust each other enough to hold each other accountable to our numbers, we're never going to be profitable. The question is, who is correct? The answer is, they all are at a certain point in time. But unless you have all six of those perspectives to consider, 
If you have a forum full of operators, it's always going to be about cutting costs and tightening things up. And that only works for so long. Just ask Jack Welsh, who did it for about a decade. And then when he left, $200 billion went away because he'd squeezed all that out of the company already. So that's, that's why you need those six different perspectives. So it's brilliant because the entrepreneur has to be all of those six at the beginning until they can grow the business up to a place. That's, That's right. not easy, right? Yeah. And think of my own story. You asked me what the problem was. Well, the problem was we were all a bunch of visionaries. So the answer was always, we need something new. We need something new. We need something new, um, which is great at a certain point in time. But we didn't need something new. We needed to take what we had and figure out how to scale it. So we had, we had, we had one hammer. We're all looking for a nail. Yeah, I always love that quote. So what's interesting about that is you're, you to tie it to the success metrics of you said in my business, I have to have that the businesses you consult with on innovation, do they have those roles well identified in their businesses? Not typically, um, it depends on the industry, but from industry to industry, um, and the maturity of the business, you know, mm-hmm. big companies tend to have lots of operators, small companies. Smaller companies tend to have lots of visionaries, you know, um, so balance and, you know, I could I have a lot to say about innovation and companies, but there are um, there are simple frameworks and processes that you can take people through that really help them understand what they're missing, you know, get an outside in perspective. Brilliant. Love it. Just want to close with one last question for you, sir, because we could talk for hours, but we don't have that. <laughs> Tell me about a leader that you admire and why you admire them. Um, okay. So, you know, with many men, it all starts with their dad. Oh, wow. um, my dad is a, uh, a servant leader. He's humble. He's authentic. He's curious. He's a learner. And he's uh, what you see is what you get. Navy captain, uh, a, a minister, um, like he's the best thing uh He's all the best qualities to me. And so I can name a hundred leaders, but unless they were humble servant leaders, authentic, learning WYSIWYGs, they wouldn't be on my list. Um, so those are the people that I'm attracted to as, as leaders. Well, the, it's, all, it's really interesting because we started the conversation with your mom who gave you the gifts that you talked about and your dad is giving you those gifts and the people that you shared earlier, uh, even even amongst the tragedy that you went through, there were gifts that were given to you in that way as well. And it seems to be a consistency of kind of love that is really surrounding you, Mike. And so I know that we're talking about a podcast here, but I just, it's what comes off the screen to me is that you surround yourself with really amazing people and influencers, and that's who you become. Thanks, Alan. I, I, um, I, I spoke at a conference a few years ago, and I, I was uh, fortunate to speak with two presidents and the sharks in the shark tank. And I remember, so I was backstage, so I got to meet all the different speakers, and it was a crazy list of speakers. And President Bush came in, and I remember going up to him and saying, we had a conversation. I said, listen, I, I got to tell you, I didn't always agree with your policy, but I always thought you really believed in your what you were saying. So I appreciated that you believed you were integrity. I like that in a leader. And his response was, um, well, I had good parents. And uh, lucky me, um, and he clearly did, uh, lucky me, I, I, I have great parents. Um, one side note, I had mentioned to him that my dad was in the military. And I said, I'd love to get a picture with you because I think it would be, my dad would just love it. My parents would love it. And so he got done speaking and the Secret Service is running him out of the room. And I was sitting in the back behind the stage, sitting at a table. And he got to the door and held out his hands and said, hold on a second. Hold on a second. He turned around and goes, where's Mike? Where's Mike? I promised him a picture. Where's Mike? And he came back and said, hey, I I promised you a picture for you. Dad, let's take a picture. And that to me is like, that's, you know, the former president of the United States um just you know stop to take it that that's that's what i'm talking about you know politics aside that that's pretty that's humanity right there and it would touch me well you i always have a test you gave me goosebumps with that story because 
the human word is what you used. And that's what I was thinking about is uh, those are the real people that don't look at their roles as who they are. Right. Yeah. He right. To that role. And, and yeah, you know, love them, hate them. It doesn't really matter. You know, the humanity is what you really look for in anybody. Cause that's what matters. Do you have time for one more story? Of course. I'll extend so, it for you, buddy. I can do whatever I want. I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Your podcast. <laughs> I was, uh, uh, I got to speak at West Point and Bob McDonald uh, has a leadership academy, um, Robert McDonald. Uh, Bob was the CEO of P&G, Procter & Gamble, and then he took on the role as the head of the VA uh, during the Obama administration. He invited me to come out and speak to uh, a bunch of um, freshmen in college who'd been picked by their schools as future leaders. And in passing, um, I mentioned that my dad was a Navy guy. And um, he, the last day of the conference, he came up to me and said, can I have your address, your dad's address, please? And I said, well, Bob, and he goes, just give me your dad's address and don't mention anything to your dad. And my dad called me, um, I'm gonna try to keep it together here. <laughs> my dad called me about a week later and cried his way through a letter from Bob McDonald who sent him a challenge coin, but the real gift was a letter telling him what a great son he had. And uh, my dad was sobbing. Dude. As was I. You know that, what? It's a beautiful gift. It, it, well, you know, you, it's, yeah, I've got, now my goosebumps are going up both arms and up my neck and everything like that. Um, you know, it kind of describes the the fortunate life that you've had to have wonderful parents who who brought up a good dude uh and it's when other people talk about it that's what matters right and so um, i can't think of a better way to end this on it talks about you talks about george bush your mom your dad you know your your wife and all the stories you've shared are all about heart and yeah, so that's what you as your mic so um any closing comments before we wrap it up? But I've loved it. Well, I appreciate this. our time together, Alan. I'm glad we're friends and appreciate you uh, inviting me onto your podcast. And it's been an honor. Love it, my friend. We'll be in touch. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for everything. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes.